You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series, Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Please open with me in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Exodus near the beginning of your Bibles. For those of you who like to read the Bible on your phone, uh, we encourage you to use the Version Bible app. We actually have live notes in there, so if you go into the menu and then click on the events part, you'll see our church and you can follow along. You can see some stuff that we don't even put up on the screen, some like extra bonuses, Easter egg stuff, and you can uh, take some notes. It's going to be great, so we encourage you to do that, interact uh, throughout the sermon. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 4 today. For the past few weeks, we have been in a new series in which we are studying through this Old Testament book. And we're calling this series, Be Set Free. Because here in the book of Exodus, we see God presented to us as a Savior, as the one who saves, the one who liberates, the one who sets us free. And not only did he set those people free at that situation at that time, but he sets us free today as well. So let's go ahead and read our text, and then let's pray together text comes from Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to Moses, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he did, and behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. And I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you must speak. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in heart. You shall speak to him and put these words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do these signs. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is a living word that is active. And Lord, we pray that this morning we would encounter your word in a, in a living and active way. That, Lord, you would speak to us through your word, and that you would give us ears to hear and to receive, hearts to receive, the things that you're saying. Lord, we know that uh, each of us come here with different things going on in our lives. Some of us come here and we need to be challenged. Some of us come here and we need comfort and encouragement. Lord, we pray that you'd meet us each where we're at. You'd speak to us those living words that give life and encouragement and, and grace to our souls. And we ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, I've got a photo here for you to begin. Niccolo Paganini was one of the greatest concert violinists who ever lived. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. If those of you who might be involved in music, maybe you've heard this name, Niccolo Paganini. In fact, this man was so good at the violin. He lived in the 19th century. He was so good at the violin that people have speculated about whether or not he might have had some kind of rare condition which enabled him to stretch his fingers further than normal people can stretch their fingers. Because when people nowadays try to play his music from sheet music, what they find is that it's It's very difficult, almost physically impossible, to make some of these stretches that he made on the violin. One of the most impressive things that Paganini ever did was that he composed an entire piece of music, 18 minutes long, for the violin, and he did it on only one string. And the title of that is called Variations on One String. And the story goes that the first time Paganini performed this piece at a concert, no one had heard it before, no one had seen it performed, and so he walked out on stage at a concert hall in Vienna, and he began by taking his violin and breaking one of the strings. And people were shocked. What is this guy doing, right? And so then he continued, and then he plucked another string and broke a second string, and then he broke a third string, so there's only one string left on his violin. And he put the violin under his chin, and he began playing. And for 18 minutes, he played this concert piece that he had written. And it was amazing. At the end of the piece, he stopped, and he stood there, and he said, one string and Paganini. And you can imagine everyone rose. They gave him a standing ovation. They realized that they were in the presence of a true master, someone who could take one string on a violin and make something incredible out of it, something amazing, something he could use something basic, something incredibly simple, totally stripped down and use it to create something beautiful, a masterpiece. You see, with Paganini, here's the point. It wasn't the instrument that mattered. It was the artist. You see, it wasn't the instrument that mattered. It was the artist. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you feel as a person, you've only got one string to work with. Maybe you feel that you're strung out or you've been strung along or that you're a second string or maybe you're a third stringer, right? Remember this. It's not the instrument that matters. It's the artist. And our God loves to take simple things even weak things, even unimpressive things, and do amazing things with them and do great things through them. Because that way, he, the master artist, gets the glory. And that's exactly what we see here as we turn to the fourth chapter of Exodus. We're picking up in the middle of a story which we began last week. It's a story which begins in chapter 3 and continues on through chapter 4. It's kind of one continuous narrative, but it's split in half. And this is the story of Moses' famous encounter with God at the burning bush, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Last week we saw how at the burning bush God revealed himself to Moses. God called Moses to himself. He called Moses in to a relationship with him, but it didn't stop there. He also sent Moses out on a mission from him to set the people of Israel free from bondage and slavery in Egypt. This is the pattern we see throughout the Bible. Whenever God calls a person in, it will always be characterized by two aspects. First of all, he calls you in and then he sends you out. So there is calling whenever God is involved. He calls you in to a relationship with him. He calls you in to experience his grace, and then he sends you out. He calls you out on a mission from him. You could put it this way. There is no knowing of God without calling. There is no knowing of God without calling. 
First, God calls you to himself, but God never calls you to himself just so that you can have a personal, personal experience of him that is only for yourself. Do you realize that whenever God calls you in to know him, along with that comes an entirely new agenda for your life. And when he calls you in, you become a person on a mission, a person on his mission. This is what happened to Moses. And before anybody would maybe think, well, hey, that was just Moses, you know, and just because Moses was called by God, that doesn't mean that I'm also called by God. Well, that's where you would be wrong if you think that. Because what we're going to see here in Exodus chapter 4 is that Moses wasn't anybody special, really. In fact, quite the opposite. And like Moses, if God has called you in to a relationship with him, he most definitely does have a calling on your life a mission to send you out should you choose to accept it. And like Moses here in this chapter, not only does God call you, but he will also equip you to do those things that he has called you to do. So the title of today's message is Called and Equipped. And there are three things that we're going to see in this chapter. First of all, we're going to talk about what is in your hand. What is in your hand? Secondly, the one thing that made God angry. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the other son. So, what's in your hand? The one thing that made God angry and the other son. So let's begin by talking about this first part. What is in your hand? The thing that God had called Moses to do was he had called him to lead the Hebrew people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and set them free, bring them out of Egypt and lead them to freedom in the promised land of Canaan. Now, there were two distinct hurdles, difficulties inherent to this mission that God is sending him on, uh, which made this task seem completely insurmountable and impossible. The first one is this. Will the Hebrew people actually follow Moses and accept him as their leader? That's the first hurdle. The second hurdle is, how will Moses get Pharaoh, how will he convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go and just leave? So two big questions. Moses had every reason to believe, first of all, that the Hebrew people would not accept him as their leader because they had already rejected him as their leader once before. Secondly, he had every reason to believe that Pharaoh would not be willing to let the Hebrews leave Egypt because why would he? He has a, a slave labor force doing free labor for him. One million people. He's not just going to let them go and say, yeah, go ahead and leave. So it's understandable why Moses is struggling with this call that God is giving him. God is asking him to do something which seems practically impossible. You know, it has been said that God will never give you more than you can handle, except for the many times when he does. Let's say that again. God will never give you more than you can handle, except for all the times that he does. Because doesn't he? Does God ever give you more than you can handle? Absolutely. You know, if you haven't experienced that yet, you will. Uh, sometimes, yeah, of course God gives you things which are more than you can handle. And certainly, this situation was more than Moses could handle. But you know what? It's never more than God can handle. And what God invites us to do is to take his hand and walk with him as he leads us through whatever that thing is. And so it's not surprising that Moses is hesitant. It's not surprising that Moses asks a lot of questions. In chapter 3, previous chapter, Moses had asked God, when God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to just tell him, hey, I'm taking the people of Israel, we're out of here. And Moses said, well, wait a second. What if the people won't listen to me? What if the Hebrews won't listen to me? What if Pharaoh won't listen to me? What am I supposed to do then? 
And God told Moses then, here is what I want you to say. Just say these phrases. And then he said in verse 18, for those of you who want to check it out, God says, if you say these things, the people will listen to you. I promise they'll listen to you. Okay, so good, right? Problem solved. Well, not exactly. Here in chapter 4, how does it begin? It begins with Moses saying, But behold, they will not listen to me. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice. They're going to say, The Lord did not appear to you. In other words, Moses is saying, Listen, God, I know that you're saying that they're all going to be like, Okay, we listen to you. But it's not going to work that way. I promise you. I just do not believe that this is going to work. That's what Moses is saying. And now here, and, and in the following passages throughout this chapter, it's this series of arguments that Moses presents to God. God's saying, Moses, I want you to go do this thing. And Moses, is, he's got all kinds of reasons why he cannot and why he will not do what God is wanting him to do. But I want you to see this. God is so incredibly patient with Moses. He is a patient God. And let me tell you this, he is patient towards you and he's patient towards me as well. And I love this question that God asks Moses in verse 2. He says to him in verse 2, Moses, what is in your hand? Moses, what do you have right there in your hand? And Moses says, well, I've, I've just got this staff. Right, what was this staff? Moses was a shepherd. His staff was basically, it was just a stick. It was a walking stick, like the kind that you would find, you know, on the side of a trail when you're hiking and you pick it up and you kind of use it to walk around or if you run into any mountain lions or something, you can shake it at them. That's basically all this was. It was just a stick that he's carrying around. It was nothing fancy. In fact, I don't know if there's anything more basic than a stick. Maybe like a rock, but a rock and a stick kind of on the same level, right? It's just a stick, Nothing special. God says, what do you got right there in your hand? Moses says, wait, you mean this stick right here? God says, yep, that's what I'm going to use right there. This simple stick. Moses has probably been carrying around this stick for months, maybe for years, just thinking nothing of it because what is it? It's just a stick. And, and God took this thing, the most simple object maybe in the world, which Moses has been carrying around for years thinking nothing of it, and God is going to use that stick in extraordinary, in miraculous ways to accomplish all of these things that Moses is like, how's this going to get done? God says, well, how about we use the stick? We'll just use that, okay? This staff, this stick, this is going to be the thing which Moses places in the Nile River and the Nile River will turn into blood. It will be this stick that Moses places in the Red Sea that he lifts above his head and the Red Sea splits in half. This staff will strike a rock and water will pour forth from a rock in the middle of the desert to provide water for a thirsty people. This staff will be raised up over a battle and will see victory won miraculously for the people of God. This simple stick will become known not just as a stick it will become known by this name the rod of God this simple stick is going to become the primary tool which God is going to use to accomplish all of these things from getting the Hebrew people out of Egypt and then through the wilderness and into the promised land this simple stick who would have thought right this stick that Moses has been carrying around for years he probably just found it somewhere one day it's a stick he found it on the ground he thought well this will be a good enough stick I guess I can carry this around while I'm walking you know, who would have thought that a simple stick would become the rod of God and would become God's tool in Moses's hand to fulfill all the things that God had wanted him to do you know 40 years prior to this Moses had been a prince in Egypt and at that time he had something 
that was much more than a stick in his hand. He had a scepter with which he ruled, a sword. And you might say, wow, a sword. God could really do something great with a sword. But I love this, that God says, no, I'm just going to wait until all you have in your hand is a stick. Like that's the only thing you own in the world is a stick that you found on the ground. And that's what I'm going to use to do all of these amazing things. So let me ask you this. What do you have in your hand? Yes, you. What do you have in your hand right now? God says to Moses, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses says, well, I've just got this stick. And God says, great, I'll use that stick. He says, Paul, Paul the Apostle, what do you have in your hand? Well, I don't really have anything in my hand. I've just got this pen. I mean, I I like to write stuff. He says, great. I will use that pen, and you, I will use you to write Holy Scripture. He says, Peter, what about you? What do you got in your hand, Peter? And Peter says, nothing, really. I just got this fishing net. And he says, perfect. I'll make you a fisher of men. I'll use that thing which is already in your hand, and I will bless it, and I will use it in great ways to accomplish my purposes. So let me ask you this. What do you have in your hand? And you say, well, nothing really, right? I just have a, a keyboard, a laptop. I work on all day, every day. Uh, I just have a hammer. I, I have a paintbrush. I have this ball, basketball, right? Baseball, I don't know. Maybe you, you would say, well, I just have my hands full because I've got kids and, and I, my hands are full with my kids. Maybe you've got a tool or a skill or something that you're passionate about. If you ever wonder, how can God use me in great ways? Well, start here. Start by taking a look at what is already in your hand right now. You know, it's very likely, it wouldn't be unprecedented that that might be the very thing which God will use in your life to accomplish His purposes for His glory through you, that thing that's already in your hand. So begin by asking, God, how might you use this thing, which is in my hand right now, how might you use this for your purposes? And maybe you'd say, well, man, I'm just a plumber, right? The only thing I've got in my hand is a plunger. Or I'm a hairdresser, I've just got like scissors in my hand. I'm an accountant. I've got a calculator. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. The only thing I've got in my hands is a toddler or, or a basketball or a camera or whatever it is. How could God possibly use something like that? Well, let me tell you this. If God could use a stick, well, then he can definitely use whatever you've got in your hand. I think there's really, that's kind of the point of this whole thing. There's nothing more basic than a stick. And if God can use that to deliver his people, lead them to the promised land, then God can use anything. The question is really not a matter of ability. It's a question of willingness. Are you willing to take whatever's in your hand in this season of your life, whether it's a broom or whether it's a calculator, or whatever it might be, and say, Lord, I dedicate this to you. Use it for your glory. Lord, I'm yours, and here's all I've got. Take this and use it. I dedicate it to you. How might you use this for your purposes? You know, there was a little boy who came to Jesus one day, and all he had in his hands was his lunch, right? Just his lunchbox. This is all I've got. He's got five rolls of bread and two fish. It wasn't a lot. It was a small lunch for one person. But he said, look, this is all I've got, but you can have it if you want it. So he gives his lunch to Jesus, and Jesus takes it and blesses it and multiplies it, and he uses it to do one of his most incredible miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, you may not have much, but whatever you do have in your hands, if you will give it to the Lord, he will take that thing and he will do things with it that you would have never even imagined. A simple stick 
becomes the rod of God. A simple lunch becomes the feeding of the 5,000. So the question is, what do you have in your hand? Start there. God wants to use that. That's where God wants to begin with accomplishing his mission through you. So God gives Moses three signs here. The first sign is that his staff turns into a snake and then turns back into a staff. By the way, I don't know if you caught this or if any of you like snakes or don't like snakes. I kind of like snakes. Uh, You know what I'm really afraid of is mice. And maybe that's why I like snakes because snakes eat mice. But for those of you who don't handle a lot of snakes, um, you know, you're not supposed to pick them up by the tail. And it's quite interesting. God tells Moses... Okay, here's this, you know, poisonous snake that's scaring Moses. He's running away, and God says, pick it up by the tail. It took a lot of faith, took some obedience on Moses' part to actually do that, but he did it. Okay, so these three signs, what are they? They are tools which are to be used to convince the Hebrews and the Egyptians that Moses has truly been sent by God. Okay, so that's the first sign. It's the the staff turns into a snake and then back into a staff. The second sign, Moses' hand becomes leprous and then is healed. This is a sign. The reason why this is such a big sign is because leprosy was considered a curse. And it was also considered, for, for thousands of years, it was considered an incurable disease. And so something like this, to see an incurable disease miraculously cured in a moment, this would be something that got their attention. But the third sign is a little bit different. The third sign is that Moses takes water from the Nile River, really, which is the lifeblood of you of the desert. It's the lifeblood of Egypt, you could say. And he turns it into blood, which of course you can't drink, or you you could, but it tastes really bad, right? So the first two signs were miracles of restoration, but the second sign, or sorry, the third sign was something different. It was a warning. It was a warning of judgment that was to come if the people persisted in refusing to listen to God. So Moses' Moses's first argument against God for why he can't do what God is telling him to do is that he says, look, I know you think that people will believe me, but they won't. And God says, okay, well, I'll give you a solution. I'll give you these three signs. You show them to this. These signs to people, they'll definitely believe you now. Problem solved, right? Moses should be good to go now, right? Not quite yet. In verse 10, Moses comes back with his second big argument for why he can't do what God is calling him to do. The reason? He says, I'm really bad at talking. I'm not eloquent. I talk. I sound terrible. Uh, Literally what Moses says that he's slow of speech. In Hebrew, the idiom is actually that he is heavy of mouth, which has led many people to believe, including myself, that Moses had some kind of speech impediment, that he stuttered or that he, he wasn't good at talking for some reason. Now, it kind of makes you wonder. You start to get this picture of this man, Moses. And, and of all the people in the world, why would God choose this guy? He's 80 years old. He only owns a stick. That's the only thing he owns. And he has a speech impediment. And his job is to go to speak to a head of state and demand the release of one million slaves. Why would he choose this guy of all people in the world? Why? Well, it's kind of like Paganini, the violinist, with his one string. What is it for? It's to show that it's not the instrument that matters. It's the artist. This is what God is trying to show us. So what does God say to Moses? He says, you struggle with speaking. Moses, think about this. Who made man's mouth? Was it not me? Didn't I, that's my job. I make people's mouths. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you are to speak. 
What God is telling Moses here is a very important principle that all of us need to take note of, and it's this. God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. Say it again. God does not call the equipped. God equips those whom he calls. So the question becomes this for you and I. What is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, he will equip you with what you need in order to do it. Okay, so maybe there are some of you here today. And God is calling you. Maybe God is calling you to be a Christian. Now, you know, they say, well, that sounds simple. Yes, it is simple, but that's where it begins. God calls you there. God calls you to follow Jesus and trust in him as your Savior and make him Lord of your life. And maybe you've never really done that. Maybe there's some of you here today and you've never you, you've been kind of riding the fence or been kind of towing the line and going along with, with the thing for a while, but you've never really officially put down your yes and said, yes, I'm all in, I do. I will put my trust in Jesus and what he did for me, and I will make him Lord of my life. Maybe God is calling you to do that today. The question is this, will you do it? Maybe you feel like Moses, that you don't have what it takes. God would say, you let me worry about that. You just come as you are. You respond to my call in your life. Now, maybe you are a Christian, and you, and you would say, well, well, I am a Christian, then what's God's calling in my life? Well, you can be sure of this, that God is definitely calling you to serve him in some way. At the very least, he's calling you to be a witness for him in every area of your life. Maybe beyond that, he also has specific callings for you as well. The question isn't whether or not you have what it takes to do what God is calling you to do. The question is, are you willing to say yes to what God is calling you to do? Because what God is telling Moses and us here in this scripture here is that he is more than capable of equipping you with the ability if you are willing to give him your availability. Moses isn't good at speaking, and that's okay. God can take care of that, and God will take care of that. The question is this, Moses, will you go if I call you to go? And we can ask ourselves that same question. Will you go? Will you respond if he is calling you? I read a great quote this week, and here's what the quote said. It said, the gospel is always more compelling to people who know their own inadequacy the gospel is always more compelling to people who know their own inadequacy. You know, the word gospel, it means good news. And it, it, is, it refers to the core message of Christianity, which is that in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your sins, in spite of your failures, in spite of your inadequacies, God loves you and he has done everything it took to make you his own. That's why Jesus came. And so he calls you first into a relationship with him and then to be on mission with him. And the more aware you are of your own personal shortcomings and inadequacies, the more compelling the message of God's grace will be to you. Well, that brings us to our second point, and that is this. The second big thing we see in the story is the only thing that made God angry. The only thing that made God angry. So far, Moses has been very patient with God. Moses is really struggling here. I mean, he has questions. He has doubts about whether what God's saying is actually true if it's really going to happen. But I want you to notice this. God doesn't get angry with Moses for having these doubts. Now, I might get frustrated with somebody if I said, this is how it's going to work, and they came back and said, no, it's not. 
I might get frustrated, but it's interesting that God is so incredibly patient with Moses. He doesn't get angry with him for having these questions, for expressing these doubts. God responds patiently and answers Moses' questions. He works with him. But there is one thing that Moses says that actually causes God to get angry. Did you happen to see what that was? It was in verse 13. Moses says, Lord, listen, please just send somebody else. Just somebody else, please, not me. And what Moses is revealing here is really the heart of the issue, what's really going on. It's not just that he lacks the ability, it's that he also lacks the desire. He lacks the willingness to do what God has called him to do. You see, it's interesting, right? God wasn't upset when Moses asked questions. God wasn't upset when Moses struggled with doubts and fears and hesitations. But the one thing that made God upset was when Moses said that he was just straight up unwilling to do what God was asking him to do. You know, there are two kinds of doubt, right? There's what I would call sincere doubt. So sincere doubt is the person who says, look, I want to believe, I'm open to believing, but I have certain questions. I have honest questions, real questions, and if I could get those questions answered, and if I could work through those doubts, well then, of course I would be willing to believe. Of course I would be happy to believe. I just have some honest questions that that I want to work through first. But there's another kind of doubt, and that is what we might call a scoffing doubt. Scoffing doubt is that cynical attitude which says, you know what, no matter what you say, I've already made up my mind and I will not believe. Like, don't bother me with your details. I've already made up my mind. I'm not even willing to believe. You know, I think everyone struggles with doubt sometimes in regard to faith. In fact, I would say this, that doubt is a, is a natural part of having faith, uh, It's important to see this here. God isn't upset by the fact that Moses has doubts. God isn't upset by the fact that Moses asks questions or struggles to even believe what God is saying. The one and only point at which God gets mad is when Moses simply says, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. You know, I remember a particular season in my own life when I struggled with doubt. Uh, I had been a pastor for about two years at this point. My wife and I lived in Hungary at the time and and about two years before this, we had moved up to this town in northern Hungary, and we had planted a church, and things were going well. You know, it was actually about that time that we kind of turned a corner and things started doing really well. But I had started to uh, struggle with some doubts, and, and here I was, right, the pastor, and I found myself standing in front of people and teaching things, and at the same time, wondering to myself, wait a second, do I actually believe these things that I'm teaching or am I just saying these things because this is what I was told but I'm not even sure if I really believe it myself and I really struggled I really did to the point where I considered you know if I was even qualified to continue being a pastor since I was struggling with these doubts with what I believed and at that time I just happened to have a a trip scheduled to the U.S. for an extended period of time it was like five or six weeks And I felt like this is really good timing because it's going to give me some time to work through some of these questions that I had. And so I came here to the States and I was able to talk with some friends and and talk about these doubts and struggles I was having. And God used that time in my life to really allow me to wrestle through some of these big questions with what I believed. And in the end, I uh, I came all the way down you know, to the base level, right? There's the most basic questions of the existence of God, the questions of the nature of God. And from that foundation, 
I was able to say, okay, if this is true, right, if there is a God, if this God created everything and, and this God is all-powerful and he is good, which, do I believe those things? Yes, I do believe those things. Well, if there is a God and, and he's like this and he created everything and he's all-powerful and he's good, and, and yet this world is in some ways broken and, and I am in some ways broken, do I believe that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, then do I believe that a good God would want to redeem his creation? Do I believe that such a God would want to reach out and communicate with his people? And could such a God also preserve his word untainted throughout history? Yeah. You know, if all these things are true, then I can also believe that this is true. And one by one, it was, it was like my faith was being rebuilt from the ground up as I wrestled through these doubts over the course of that, that period of time. And now, today, I look back on that uh, time period as one of the most important and formative points in my journey of faith. Because it was through that crisis of faith, you might say, that I came out of it with a faith that was more robust, that was stronger, that was my own. And it was an experience which also led me, ended up leading me to enroll in seminary because I wanted to go deep and really study these things and learn them for myself. All that to say, I believe that the church needs to be a place where people who are wrestling with sincere questions and even doubts can come and and work through those things honestly and openly. You know, that's one of the reasons why we invite you every Sunday to text in or tweet us your questions and we, we respond to them. It's because we're not afraid of questions and we don't think that you should be afraid of questions. We want to dialogue with you. We want to help you work through the questions that you have, not just say, don't ask any questions. Just sit there and be quiet and you say yes and nod your head. That's not at all it, you know. We, we, we want to encourage everyone to be involved in our community groups. Why? Because those are great settings in which you can have those kinds of dialogues and discussions. The one thing that made God angry was not when Moses had questions. It was not when Moses struggled to believe. It was not when Moses had doubts. The one thing that made God angry was when Moses said that he was not willing. But notice this, even then, God didn't give up on him, did he? He burned with anger. He was frustrated with Moses, but he didn't give up on him. Even then, God is so patient with Moses, and he's patient with us. And that's incredible when you think about it. He didn't need Moses, yet he chose to work with this man who was somewhat stubborn and who also lacked ability and lacked faith and even lacked willingness. What does he even have? Just a stick, right? And, and yet even though God is frustrated with Moses, he still doesn't give up on him. Why? Was it because Moses was really the only option that God had? He didn't have a plan B? No, I don't think that Moses was the only option. I don't even think Moses was the most efficient option. I think just the opposite. God probably could have gotten this done uh, without Moses, and he probably could have gotten it done much more efficiently than through Moses. Then, therefore, what is the answer? Why does God so patient with this man? Why does God not give up on him? Why does God keep working with him? Why? Well, the reason... God persisted with Moses. The reason God persists with you and with me isn't for God's sake, it's for our sake. You see, God is calling Moses. God's calling Moses into a relationship with him and into a mission with him as part of that relationship. He has a role for Moses to play in it and the same is true for you. Even at this point, God doesn't give up on Moses. Rather, he says, okay, Moses. He's frustrated, but he says, what if I put you on a team? You, you know your brother Aaron? 
Well, he could do the speaking for you. How does that sound? And finally, Moses consents. Albeit reluctantly, he consents. Okay, he will go and he will do what God is calling him to do. And that brings us to our final section, which is the other son. In fact, several other sons, but let's talk about this. Moses was called by God to do what? To lead the Hebrew people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. But now, God has put him on a team. It's not just Moses now, it's Moses' brother, the other son, you might say, from Moses' parents. They didn't grow up together, but they knew about each other. And this is what it says about Aaron. Let's read the end of the chapter, verse 27 through 31. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Well, that worked out pretty well, right? Like Aaron's now on the team and everything works out. True. But in the long run, do you know what's going to happen with this partnership with Aaron? It's going to turn out to be much more of a burden than it is a blessing. It's going to turn out to be much more of a problem than it is a benefit to Moses. Later on, you you might know the story. Moses is going to go up on this mountain and receive the Ten Commandments. You know what Aaron's doing during that time? He's down on the ground building a golden calf, building an altar. Aaron is doing that kind of hard to have a leader who's kind of doing the opposite thing pulling people in the opposite direction as you are later on Aaron is also going to lead a mutiny against Moses and try to overthrow him as the leader later on Aaron's sons who will become the first priests when they have this regulated worship system those sons of Aaron are going to blaspheme God by doing impure things during worship now when you think about that and you remember that God had actually told Moses That the people would listen to him even though he wasn't a good speaker. In other words, Moses didn't really need Aaron. In the long run, having Aaron on this leadership team creates more problems than good. And and I wonder if Moses looked back on this later on and said, you know, it all worked out in the end, but I could have spared myself so much strife. I could have spared myself so much grief if I would have just listened to God the first time instead of dragging my feet and saying no until Aaron had to get involved. And I can't help but think that there's also a principle in there for us as well. That God is patient with us many times, though you only make it harder on yourself when you resist or when you put off what what you know God is calling you to do. Because somebody might say, well, if God is so patient like you're saying, then, then why, what's the hurry, right? Like I can just put off responding and doing what I know God wants me to do. Uh, I can put it off for a while. I can just kind of do my own thing for a little bit and then someday I'll get around to it. Well, maybe. But remember these two things. Number one, tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. And number two, by putting it off like Moses, you're only going to be creating more problems and strife for yourself. So I encourage you, if God is calling you, don't Put it off. Don't wait. I'm sure that later on in his life, that's exactly what Moses would have said to you too. The next other son we read about in this final section, in verse 21, as Moses is making preparations to go to Egypt to do what God has called him to do, God now speaks to him again and says, be prepared, Moses. You're going to go talk to Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh's not going to let the people go, at least not right away. He says, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will refuse to obey me. Now, we're going to talk about that a lot more in weeks to come. What is this thing about hardening of Pharaoh's heart? But in verse 22, God says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will take your firstborn son. Do you catch that? Two sons. One will be slain so that the other can go free. Take note of that. It's interesting. We'll talk about that more. But there's yet another son in this section. As Moses is preparing to go to Egypt in verse 24, it says that God appeared to Moses and confronted him with a kind of near-death experience about some unfinished business in Moses' family life. Moses at this point has two sons. One of them has been circumcised. The other son has not been circumcised. And it would seem that Moses' wife, who by the way, her name is Zipporah, she is not a Hebrew, she's a Midianite that she had refused to let Moses circumcise one of their two sons because she considered circumcision a bloody and barbaric practice. But as they're on their way to Egypt, they have a close call. They almost die. And that causes Moses' wife to finally give in and say, fine, although she does it resentfully, she says, okay, fine, let's go ahead and circumcise the kid. I can see that this is what God wants us to do. So what was circumcision? Just quickly, it was an outward sign that God had given the Hebrew people to bear on their bodies as a reminder that they as a nation had a covenant with God. And it was seen as Zipporah, Moses' wife, she realized that God is trying to get their attention that before Moses can go and lead other people in God's name, Moses needs to get his own family life in order before God. And this reminds us of this. God's calling on your life begins at home. It begins with who you are at home. It's not just a calling to be something or do something publicly, but calling starts with who you are really all the time at home. In addition to all these other sons, there's yet one other son who is not directly referred to in the text, but if we fail to see this son, then we've missed the entire point of the story. You see, there was another son who was also called by God to go and to set people free. Unlike Moses, this son obeyed God with perfect obedience, even though it led to his death. But you see, it was through his death that he liberated us. This son, he lived the life that you should have lived, and he died the death that you should have died, so that you could be free from the curse of sin and death, so that you could have the promise and the hope of eternal life in him. And like with Pharaoh's son, see, our liberation comes at the cost of that son's life. And the liberation that he gives, that Jesus, of course, is the son I'm talking about, the liberation that he gives is ultimate liberation. It's liberation from the curse of sin and death. It's liberation that sets you free to be a new person and have a new identity and have a new destiny because of what Jesus did for you in his death and resurrection. This son... Jesus, here's what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. You can experience that freedom today. God is calling you first to have a relationship with him and then to join him 
in his mission. Will you respond to that calling? I encourage you to today. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who calls us. You are a God who loves us and who calls us to yourself. You call us in. You call us in to experience your grace, to receive forgiveness, to be restored and redeemed and given a new life and a new identity and a new hope and a new future, a new destiny. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Lord, we also realize that as you call us in, you also call us to go out on mission with you. And Lord, I'm sure that there are many of us here today who are hearing this message and we're thinking about ourselves. Lord, we we thank first of all of those people who are sitting here today and thinking, you know what? I know that God has been calling me into a relationship with him. I know that God has been calling me to follow Jesus, but yet I have been resisting for whatever reason. Lord, I pray that today those people would say, yes, today's the day. I, I will respond to God's calling to come and receive what Jesus did for me and to follow him. And Lord, today... They would say, I make you Lord of my life. Lord, for others today, I pray that as they've been feeling you calling them into some kind of ministry or into some kind of service and mission with you, whether it's just taking what's already in their hand and dedicating it to you, or whether it's something beyond that, Lord, I pray that they would say, Lord, whatever it is, Here it is. It's all yours. I am all yours. Thank you that you gave yourself for me. Now I give myself to you. Lord, as we consider these things, Lord, I pray that in all of our hearts today, there would be a giving of ourselves over to you and a responding to your call in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. We thank you for the gospel. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our series Be Set Free, a study of the book of Exodus. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.